It is that time of the year where we're going to start wrapping up everything, talking about what we loved from the last year, talking a little bit about what we're looking forward to in the new year. So it is our year end. You're going to see Ty's going to have his top five list out. I might contribute something that I say every year, but I might try because there's a couple of recent things I've seen, listened to that I believe are worth mentioning. But this episode, this is the one that I yearly do on my own, which is the political episode. Back in the early, early days, the days, the waning years of the Barack Obama presidency, I came up with the idea of seed saying it's called politics from the ground up. It was supposed to be letting the the very the things that bring life to us, the seeds, have their voice to try to guide us in the future. And it was going to be an area where especially local politicians can come together, exchange ideas. But I needed content. So I asked my brother to give me content, and he would write things. As a matter of fact, one of the very first things he wrote that Ty wrote was a review for the movie Mad Max Fury Road. And the day I record this, he wrote a review of the trailer for the prequel to that, Furiosa, which, if you haven't seen, go see it, because that thing freaking rips. I am already, I'm like the Fry Futurama meme, where it's like, shut up and take my money. As a matter of fact, I told my wife that I would go to the big, loud, booming movie theater, the type she doesn't like to go to. I'll go see it there, and then I'll go see it again, because I'm confident that this movie's going to have legs. But let's get back to the thing at hand, politics. So how I'm going to do this podcast is I'm going to spend the first half talking about my thoughts and views of what had happened the last year, politically, mostly in the U.S., talk a little bit globally here. And then in the second half, going to discuss where I think what we can look forward to next year. And then hopefully a year from now, I'll be able to fact check myself and see that my naive hope was was enough. So politics. Let me start off with the my favorite political story. And I'm going to hear everybody's going to tell me that it is so gauche and it's uncouth and all this other stuff to celebrate it. But I woke up this week, or I woke up, I was, I was editing a First Watch Rewatch podcast, and I was getting ready to go to bed. And late at night, news broke that world-class bastard, terrible human being, destroyer of so much, yet beloved by the stupid people that ruin our world, Henry Kissinger finally freaking died at the age of 100. Yeah. And God, am I so happy. And I'm so happy for so many other people who have been waiting for this. I, I remember years ago, I was working with a political client, and they were saying something like, "There's, I mean, where's the statesmen of the world today? Where's the Henry Kissingers? I said, unfortunately, they're not dead and burning in hell. Henry Kissinger sucked. Henry Kissinger is awful. And I love to tell this story. The, the news anchorman, Peter Jennings, he used to, I believe, is the ABC Nightly News. This was at the time where it was him, Dan Rather, and Tom Brokaw. And there was uh, some event, some New York club or something like that, and a bunch of journalists were there. And Barbara Walters, her guest was Henry Kissinger. So this would have been, I think uh, Peter Jennings died like early 2000s, something like that. So it was probably late 90s or so. And Peter Jennings walked right up to Barbara Walters' table and said to Henry Kissinger, how's it feel to be a war warmonger? How's it feel to be of a... Uh, of what am I trying? A war criminal. Sorry, I couldn't think of it. Rolling Stone, when the news came out, their headline was, 
war criminal and person beloved by the elite ruling class, Henry Kissinger, dead at 100. Awesome. I mean, awesome. And I know every, again, I know it's uncouth. I know it's this, but just a horrible, horrible, horrible human being. And the fact that he was so beloved by everyone, that Hillary Clinton called him a friend, that Barack Obama had him in the White House and all that stuff is just, I mean, these dumbasses in Washington, D.C. are wondering why the people are getting restless. It's because of them deifying somebody like a Henry Kissinger. And it is so gratifying to me that here, now that he's dead, that we can truly see the predictable Fox News of the world, the predictable New York Yankees of the world, all sad and praying for his family. But the large majority of people under the age of 60 are like, thank God. They basically, anybody under the age of 60, when they heard Henry Kissinger was dead, they responded like this. So rotten hell, Henry Kissinger, you made my number one favorite political story of the entire year. Now I'm going to talk about my number two favorite political story, and that is the Republican House Caucus in here in Washington, D.C. The year started off, I mean, this seems so long ago, but the year started off with, at this time, I'm recording this way in the early days of December, so a lot of things could change in the next few weeks, but as we sit right now, we were getting ready for the midterms that ended. We knew the Republicans were going to control the House of Representatives, and we were still waiting to see whether or not the Democrats were going to control the Senate. We had the runoff elections in early January for the Georgia Senate seats, which they, well, Ossoff won before, but Reverend Raphael Warnock won in the runoff to give that made the 50th Democrat in the Senate and give them control because the vice president is a Democrat. It's weird to think about this, but he beat, I mean, barely beat Herschel Walker. So just, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's it's something else. I barely beat, it's about 100,000 votes, but still, it's just wild that Herschel Walker, I mean, just a weird, weird thing to think about where we were politically. But getting back to the Republican House Caucus, so around this time, they're getting ready to pull together their team. They're getting ready to get their leadership. They're getting ready to talk about who's going to be in charge of which committees. And it was pure chaos. It was utter chaos all the way through. Now, at the same time, you had people like Lauren Bobart, who barely won her election, who's coming back in. And these are people that were kicked off committees when Nancy Pelosi was the speaker. So they get to come back. Marjorie Taylor Greene gets to come back and be there. Then you had the immortal George Santos, who the day I record this is the day he gets kicked out of the United States House. I think Jim Traficant was the last person, and I was in single digits, I believe, when that happened. And then anybody else, it probably happened around the Civil War or something. But you had these, these let's just call them characters right now, coming in to have power in the United States House of Representatives. And one of them, front and center of, of the clown show, was Florida Congressman Matt Gates, who at the time was still under investigation, I think, for underage, like taking an underage girl across state lines to have sex with, something along those lines. He had outsized power now. And everybody thought Kevin McCarthy, the majority leader, the California congressman, was going to be the speaker. But there was a lot of these holdouts, and they're always talking about the rhinos and how much they supported Donald Trump and just all the stupidest things you can imagine. So for the first time in over 100 years, the Speaker of the House of Representatives was not elected on the first ballot. As a matter of fact, it took 10 ballots 
to finally get McCarthy the votes he needed. And he made like a devil's bargain, basically let the Marjorie Taylor Greens, who she decided to cozy up to McCarthy, but the Matt Gates of the world, they still were not happy. Some of these other jackass Republicans just still were never happy. So so Kevin McCarthy had this, this just thing over his head all year. And predictably, nothing ever got done in Congress because people like Gates and people like Bobart. Bobart's more interested in giving public hand jobs than she is in legislating at all. That And then you had your stupid weaponization committee and the Hunter Biden probe. And every time they'd be like, man, do you see Hunter Biden? There's pictures of him naked with prostitutes and handguns and doing cocaine and going down water slides. And I go, if you guys keep telling me how cool Hunter Biden is, I might have to vote for him. I mean, that's that's just what I'm saying. And it, again, it just devolved into absolute nonsense, nonstop. And then they're like, well, we're going to impeach Joe Biden. I have a lot of Republican friends that only watch Fox News. And they're like, he's the most corrupt president in history. And he's got dementia, but he runs a super criminal syndicate. And he's corrupt, but he's too stupid. And just on and on and on and on. So finally, it leads to McCarthy saying, we're going to have an impeachment inquiry into the president. And they can't, they they keep telling you, like, what they're doing is they're not finding evidence and pre- presenting the evidence. They're looking around every corner they can and inventing the evidence, and then hopefully oh, they'll find it. And it's just not happening. That's really what's happening, people. You don't agree with me, come at me. But again, if you're only watching Fox News, Fox News, also one of my favorite political stories of the year, had to pay close to a billion dollars to uh, one of the voting machine places because they lied. They absolutely lied. And they had to admit they lied. They lied. And that's going to be my third favorite story in a moment here that led to the fallout of that. But with this McCarthy thing, he always had that hanging over his head. And then predictably, because this always happens when Republicans are in control of a chamber of Congress in recent years, in recent times, they don't have enough to fund the government. And they want to... The Republicans want to get rid of all IRS agents and replace them with all border agents and do extra judicial killings in other countries, just all all sorts of things. So when these when these fights come up, these budget fights are like, give no more money to poor kids who need food and give more money to welfare queens like corporate CEOs. And it always gets into this and they're going to shut the government down. And every single time I just look at it. It's the Republicans every single time. And McCarthy knows we're going to get blamed for this crap. And there is a lot of things going around. And and even though there weren't any federal elections this year, there's a lot of big things going on in states that the Republican Party name was starting to become really, really dirty. So predictably, (laughs) the government was about to shut down. McCarthy cut a deal, got enough Republicans and the Democrats to vote for this deal to keep the government funded, I think, till like Thanksgiving. And then Matt Gates, because one of the deals they made is only one member can ask for him to vacate, came up and told McCarthy, vacate your post. Enough Republicans voted with all the Democrats to kick him off, and the House had no speaker. Kevin McCarthy did not even last a year. A year. And when everybody asked him, well, what would you do? Well, we, accountability to the government, we have the weaponization committee, and we have the Biden impeachment inquiry. Again, nothing about, nothing about inflation. Nothing about the economy, nothing about making people's lives better, just all this stupid code crap that, again, only people on Fox News who paid nearly a billion dollars because they lied 
listen to. And then they couldn't find a speaker. But I got to say, my favorite, favorite, favorite part of this is when everybody for a brief moment thought Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan had a shot at being the Speaker of the House. For those of you that don't know, Jim Jordan's a piece of garbage. He's always been a piece of garbage. He allowed and turned his head to sexual abuse when he was an assistant wrestling coach at Ohio State. Never paid for those crimes. He gets elected to the House, I believe it was in 2008, so he'd been serving since 2009, has never passed a piece of legislation. He's considered by many the least effective member of Congress in the entire land. Because again, the guy's been there a decade. He is a U.S. congressman. He's been there a decade plus, and he's never, ever introduced a piece of legislation. He looks like an idiot. He is an idiot. He doesn't even have his law. He doesn't. He never passed the bar. The, I don't think he ever even took the test. Never passed the bar exam. Yet he's the head of the House Judiciary Committee. He's a, a Fox News talking head. That's all he is. And he couldn't get the votes to be speaker. And it was awesome. This just public pantsing of him. And finally, the media talking about how much garbage he is. Just did it. But of course, the media does what the media does. They found their one sacrificial lamb and then they slept. And now we've got creationists, probably flat earther, Jesus freak who wants to jail all women who have abortions and give the death penalty to all the doctors. He says he reads the Bible, just not the parts where Jesus says feed the poor and work and help the sick and stuff like that. He doesn't read those parts of the Bible. Doesn't have a bank account because why would a U.S. congressman need a bank account? And so now we have that pile of garbage as the Speaker of the House of Representatives. And not like we're in a better place, but at least it was fun to watch Republicans just pants themselves. Now let's go back to that Fox News lawsuit. I hear this all the time. Well, they all do it. They all lie, which I, I love. So fine. You only watch Fox News and you're okay with them lying because everybody else lies, but you won't watch anyone else because they lie. Well, Fox paid the price. Their golden boy, white supremacist hour itself, Tucker Carlson, was fired. And everybody was like, oh, man, Tucker is Fox. They're going to need Tucker. And they re they replaced Tucker with just one. I mean, Jesse Waters is, again, I, dumbass is the word of the day here. Rest in peace, Pee Wee Herman. We'll do it. But he's Jesse Waters is just he's just terrible. I mean, at least. At least I could see Tucker Carlson leading a Klan rally. At least I could see him firing up the troops. Jesse Waters, he he can't even hand out the hoods. I mean, he's just worthless. But the greatest thing about it is not that I'm happy that Fox News is thriving or anything like that, but nothing happened to Fox. Nothing at all. Yet Tucker is in some some empty room yelling at the wall over on Twitter. That nobody cares about. I'm sure there's people, oh, well, you see, he had like a billion views on Twitter and nobody at Fox News has a billion. Then why is Twitter absolutely failing? And yes, I'll continue to call it Twitter. Because you guys worship, you right-wing people, you quote-unquote conservatives, worship all the dumbest people. And these people, and I mean it, in, in all reality, Elon Musk is dumb. Being smart means you have compassion, means you have empathy. And I know you're all going to say, well, you're just celebrating Henry Kissinger. But then Henry Kissinger's the devil. If you think Kissinger's life is worth celebrating, then you and I don't need to talk. And you can go leave me a one-star review or whatever it is. That's fine. But this whole worshiping of racist, misogynist, stupid people like Elon Musk or Tucker Carlson or Donald Trump, 
it, it's funny to me that all these guys you worship, they're all just grifters. They're all the emperor with no clothes. All of them. And you all just sit there and say, oh, what lovely gowns you're wearing. What lovely this, what lovely that. And at the end of the day, you all fail. Always fail. And I love it. And 2023, for what might have been bad that a lot of people think, it just exposed how non-important Tucker Carlson is. It exposed how non-important Elon Musk is. And while the legacy media and the government in a lot of ways continue to try to prop these people up, I go back to the Kissinger dying. Everybody under 60 was like, hell yeah. That is hopeful. That is good. That is something that is absolutely worth celebrating. Some issues with the years in this last year in politics, though. More and more shootings and thoughts and prayers. That's all we have. Can't even talk about it anymore. And shootings of all kinds now. You, schools are getting shot up. Gatherings are getting shot up. And every, you know this country still, it's all about, well, we can't get rid of the guns. Well, yes, we can. I, I can have another podcast that I can go for another hour on about that, but absolutely we can. And that's the only way this stops. So we have, we have that. The year did start off with one of the two popes dying. Pope Benedict passed away early in the year, in January, which is just a, a weird little side mark on history. I mean, it's the time we had, this was the last time we had two living popes, it was the 1500s or something like that. So we did have that. In Brazil, Bolsonaro, his people tried to invade the capital like the idiot January Sixers tried to, and they failed. And Bolsonaro's now living out and hiding in Florida or something. The January Six people, a lot of them started to get heavy, heavy prison sentences this year, including the Proud Boys dumbass who I think got like 17 years, which is really good. Britain, I think, went through three prime ministers, crowned a king this year in politics. Yeah, it was something. It, the year ended globally on a little bit of a, and I, I'll go through some of this in the second half here, a little bit of, oh goodness, where a lot of other countries are, they're not electing conservative politicians, they're electing far-right politicians. They're electing dangerous demagogues, where at the same time you have countries like India and China who are just more and more empowering their demagogues. And so globally, it's a rough place. I'm going to end this podcast on, or I'm going to end this half, though, on the ongoing wars in Ukraine and in Israel and Palestine. And they're wars. Okay, these are wars. There's a lot of people dying. There's a lot of children dying. And Russia can wipe Ukraine off the map. And Israel can absolutely wipe Palestine and, and the Palestinians off the map if they wanted to. And I think the Israelis, the thought, the high-level people in Israel want to do that. And I sure as heck know that the Russians want to do that. But what the Ukrainians have done thus far has been great. And they're getting very, very little help from us. And I'm not advocating whether or not we should go into war or not, but we need to understand that what we do and what happens in Ukraine is going to matter for a generation. Because Russia won't stop there. Russia will go and take Poland. And now you're taking a NATO country. And now we're going to see what this really means. But North Korea is going to wonder what this really means if they want to start throwing rockets. I don't think at South Korea, start throwing them at Japan. And what does this mean if China wants to start expanding their sphere of influence, especially into India, and naturally taking Hong Kong, and then Israel? 
Hamas, in my opinion, is a terrorist organization. Hamas attacked innocent people in Israel. Now, again, it's coming out the week I'm doing this podcast that the Israeli government and Netanyahu knew this was going to happen. And if they knew this was going to happen and let it happen so they could get their blood sacrifice, then they belong where Kissinger is. And it would not go beyond me to think that that was the plan. But if we're going to sit here and continue to believe that this Palestinians and the Israelis can coexist, we are going to have another conflict every 10 to 15 years. And I don't know the answer, but I know what I would do if I was President Biden, if I was a United States Congress. I'd put troops on the ground in Gaza, in the West Bank. I would get every single civilian out. And I would tell Hamas, you either surrender or we're bombing this place. And then like with the Ukrainians, you have to come up with a global plan of settlement. And if it means dividing Israel into two states, then that's what it means. And if that's our two-state solution, that's our two-state solution. But there will need to be walls. There will need to be guns. And I know I sound like I'm, I'm talking about Berlin during the Cold War. But that might be what it takes until this current generation of, of entitled boomers who feel they have no that they have not burned the world and there's no consequence to them until they are gone. And we can have this next generation. I'm not even talking about my generation. I'm 48. I'm talking about the generation below me. To understand that peace is coexistence. That's what it's going to take. And it's going to take walls and it's going to take guns to get to that point. But that's where we are right now. I know I kind of glossed over a lot of things, but I wanted to hit my high points of things that really meant a lot to me. And to once again, absolutely celebrate the fact that Henry Kissinger's dead. Hell yeah, I'm not going to get tired of that. My wife is so tired. When I woke her up, I actually, that's the first thing I said. I said, I love you. And say this, I said, Henry Kissinger's dead. And she's like, okay. But uh, I do want to mention, too, I record this the day that Sandra Day O'Connor passed away, and I'm not going to applaud her death and things like that. I think she did a lot of damage to this country, especially in the Bush v. Gore hearing or the Bush v. Gore ruling. But she she was she lived a life of service. She is an I mean, influential first woman to ever be on the United States Supreme Court. And so I'm not going to celebrate anything about with her death, I am going to let the time go. And then lastly, but definitely not least, former First Lady Rosalind Carter also passed away. And I think her son said it well, that she doesn't need a eulogy because her life was a sermon. And it was frightening, but it was also very heartwarming to see Jimmy Carter in his last moments of life there to celebrate the life of his wife. And to be there and to know that, <laughs> say one more time, Henry Kissinger's dead and Jimmy Carter lives. See you on the other side. Hello, all. This is RD. I wanted to talk to you guys about a, another podcast that I do work on it's called High Heels and Politics. It's hosted by Marianne Christie, who I work with here in Southwest Ohio. And Marianne, she interviews a lot of influential people. In Ohio, she's interviewed a lot of political people that are influential. But for those of you outside of this state, 
She's also interviewed people like Susie Chapstick Chaffee, a former Olympic skier who was the face of Chapstick for the 1970s and 1980s. It's really interesting to listen to that one because she talks about her struggles as a woman in the Olympics, but then how she used her celebrity and her attractiveness in order to get more rights for amateur athletes, which led us today to things like the NIL. Also, Susie was very instrumental in Title IX, which we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of. But it's not all just seriousness. Marianne has also interviewed the Naked Cowboy, the New York City icon that's been out there. Simon Lease, who a lot of you may know if you've ever seen The People vs. Larry Flint, he was the guy that arrested Larry Flint. He also arrested Jerry Springer when Jerry Springer was a member of the Cincinnati City Council here. So I encourage you guys go to Spotify, Google, Apple, go search High Heels in Politics, follow, subscribe the show. Marianne comes out with a new one every week, and it's an incredibly great conversation. And if you're interested or know anybody that may be on High Heels in Politics, just go to the contact page and talk to us. So let's get back to the conversation. Okay, guys, so what's 2024 going to look like? What are What's my... Gaze into the future, my my future I see for for us politically within the next year. And I'm going to tell you why I'm a total genius at this. Back in 2020, right before the pandemic hit, there was a documentarian here in Ohio that was going all around the state to talk to a variety of different people about the presidential election and why does Ohio seem to always factor. And I was lucky enough to be one of the people that he interviewed before he had to shut the whole production down. So this was in like mid-February when we sat down. And he ended up not being able to get the documentary together, but he took those interviews and he turned them into podcasts. And I remember he asked me at the time, so it's been February of 2020, who I thought the nominee for the Democratic Party was going to be. And I know I said something about Mike Bloomberg and all this other stuff. I go, but look, at the end of the day, they're going to rally around Joe Biden. It's going to be Joe Biden. So that's why you guys need to listen to me, because I'm right. So let's talk about the Republicans, all right? I, I'm going to get this up front here and tell you Joe Biden will be the nominee for the Democratic Party. He is. Again, if you think anything else, it's because you watch too much Fox News. But he will be the nominee. I think the last time a sitting president decided not to take the nomination was Lyndon Johnson, and that was a much different situation. But Joe Biden will be the nominee. I record this just after Fox News' little stupid Gavin Newsom, Ron DeSantis, the quote-unquote debate. Again, you can't see me doing the debate thing or the the finger quotes here. And it, it was a waste of time. I watched a very little bit of it. Gavin Newsom should have never done it. I get I get why he did, but he's going to come off to the Fox News viewer the way they tell him is. He's a elitist a-hole. That's what they're going to say, and that's how he came off, and that's fine. I have no problem with that personally, but that's the way it is. But Ron DeSantis, let's talk about Meatball Ron. Meatball Ron, another pile of garbage, the guy is everything about him is just stolen valor. It's he's he's nothing but wannabe dictator. That's all he is. He goes to the whims of the most base of people, like idiots like Moms for Liberty and all that stuff, in order to get them all riled up and angry so they'll control the news cycle. So he thinks he'll jump to power. Here's the problem with Meatball Ron. He's not attractive, he's not charismatic. And he is stupid. He is honestly stupid. Oh, but he went to Yale. So these guys are all telling me the Ivy Leagues are stupid anyways. Why does he why do you care if he went to Yale? But Meatball Ron, because he has no charisma, all right, he's a Scott Walker of this election. He's not gonna make it in. Predictably, all the other ones that were trying to like Tim Scott, that was funny for a moment there. 
But basically, and Mike Pence, I mean, people in his party want him to be hung. And he thought, I'm going to really win this nomination. But of the ones that are left, I want to take a few moments to talk about three of them. Chris Christie, Vivek Ramaswamy, and Nikki Haley. I'll start with Chris Christie. Chris Christie, it was the first of the Republicans that went after the teachers' union, the first to make education a huge political issue in our modern era. And he's he's a jackass. He's a jerk. He was one of the huge enablers of Donald Trump. He was a crappy governor. He, he was all these things. He's a new version of Rudy Giuliani. Because he's friendly to the media and the Morning Joe crew and stuff like that, they'll put him on news a lot. They'll try to give him seriousness, but he's not a serious person. He's not a serious candidate. And at the end of the day, yes, going after and attacking Trump is a good thing, I think, for the country in general, but it's going to do nothing for you in the Republican primary. So let's talk about Vivek, local boy here, where I live here in southwest Ohio, the Cincinnati area. And I know he was, I think, on Glenn Beck's show, and he was talking about how I went to public school all the way through middle school. And I'm like, first off, moron, the next question I have is, well, where did you go to high school at? went to high school at a place called St. Xavier, which is a Catholic private school that cost a whole lot of money. My parents were working people. He was rich. I made money on my own. It's questionable the legality of how he made this money and basically preyed on old people to take their retirements away, to pump up his stock, take the money and run, and the company collapse. He's a He is a proto-Donald Trump with nowhere near the quote-unquote charm of Donald Trump. He's a smug jackass who thinks by saying the most extreme things that the DeSantis people say that he's somehow going to do something. It's going to be hilarious to me, okay, when a year from now we're going to completely forget who this idiot is. Let's talk about Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley, I think, has a very good chance of becoming the nominee. And I think if Nikki Haley becomes a nominee— There's going to be a lot of positive ink spilled on her being able to be the first woman to be elected president. Now, Nikki Haley has some baggage, and that's going to come out, but it was nowhere near the baggage that Hillary Clinton had. Hillary Clinton was actively hated by people. And even people like me, I was not a fan of Hillary Clinton's. I voted for her, but I understood at the end of the day that putting somebody up who has just been deemed not just the opposition, but the villain by the other side for so long, it's a risky strategy. The media will not do that to Nikki Haley. They won't. And they'll talk about her being the responsible Republican. They'll talk about how we need a new direction, talk about how we're stuck in this. We got to move this. We got to move this. And with all that, I do think Nikki Haley has a decent path forward. But I still think it's going to be difficult. Because in the the last election here in Ohio, we had a, a couple amendments that were going to be in our state constitution. And this all started with it takes you get a certain amount of signatures and you can have on the ballot to vote for a constitutional amendment. And then in the 11th hour, the Republicans here in this this state, including our corrupt secretary of state, Frank LaRose, who's running for the U.S. Senate right now and using his office as secretary of state, you know, public office as tool for him to run for a partisan office. But Frank LaRose and a bunch of these guys tried to change the way amendments are put in the Constitution. They held a special election. I love how people talk about, oh, Republicans are fiscally responsible. They spent like $2 million on this election just to have it. And they got their butts kicked. And then the the amendment to put abortion as a right in the Ohio Constitution 
along with another amendment to make recreational marijuana use and possession legal in the state, both passed by a lot. I mean, we're talking about 10-point victories here. So what do the Republicans in this state do? Well, we're not going to abide by the law. We're not going to do this. We're going to change it. Where do the voters are wrong? And like I said about Frank LaRose, he's running for Senate next year in Ohio against an incumbent Democrat, Sherrod Brown. And with the way Ohio's been going, it seems, I mean, hell, we elected J.D. Vance the last time around. I mean, come on. So it looks like it's safe seat for the Republicans. But if they're going to run on, hey, you know what? Nearly 6% of the voters said we don't agree with that. I think Sherrod Brown's in a pretty good spot to win re-election. I really, really do. Because the Republicans currently today are so wrapped up into their little petty culture wars and the fact that they believe they're right and it's they try to use religion and all this other BS, that they don't understand politics. They don't understand that politics to people is local. Donald Trump won the state of Kentucky by like 20 points. A Democrat just won re-election. Re-election as the governor of the state. Because Andy Bashir talked about Kentucky. Whereas Daniel Cameron talked about Donald Trump and abortion and all this other stuff. So a state that Trump carried by 20, a Democrat just carried. Statewide. And that's where Nikki Haley's trying to say the acceptable things on abortion. But at the end of the day, when you have, a, I can tell you here in Ohio again, where I live in Hamilton County, the Republican, the guy who was the head of the Republican Party, he was head for like 10 years. And when he took over, Republicans had the majority of offices in the county. Okay. And when he left, they had two. They had, I think, the county engineer and they had the county prosecutor, who the county prosecutor barely beat a nobody in the, the time before. So decade of failure. He's now the state chair because there's no responsibility. As long as you kiss ass to Trump, you can continue to go up. But if you lose elections, which is what you're supposed to do as a party person, there's there's no consequence. You keep moving up. So I think the fact that they keep promoting, like in Ohio and other places, hell, the head of the National Republican Party, that they keep promoting people who don't know how to win elections is going to help Democrats win elections. And I go back to that Hamilton County prosecutor's race. The Democrats are running a somebody now who has a lot of money, who has a lot of name recognition. And I fully think she's going to win. And I think it's going to be easy. So when I look forward to the next year, I think about the how much Trump has infected the party. And the fact that idiots like Vivek Ramaswamy and Meatball Ron can continue to get put their faces on TV to spread these messages that the people just don't like. I think that's going to hurt the Republicans. I think it's going to hurt them a lot. Like I said, in the first half, globally, you see a shift towards some of these Trump-like leaders, these cult people who are like, oh, the problem's government. We're going to completely destroy the government. In Argentina, they just elected a far-right person. In the Netherlands just elected a bunch of far-right people. I talked about India and China consolidating power inside their current leaders. The Philippines just elected another Marcos. It's Globally, it's getting a little scarier. And what does that mean coming back home to us? Well, at the end of the day, the thing that happened in Argentina was their their economy is just crumbling. It's just been terrible. I think they have the highest, if not one of the highest inflation rates in the entire world. And the the ruling party, the the Democrats of that area, end up running their current finance minister. 
they basically ran the arsonist to run the country on fire. And so, of course, that was going to happen. I think a big weakness Biden has is a lot of these these things that he's promised and the fact that we're still living underneath a terrible healthcare system and things like that, the fact that we still have price gouging at the grocery stores and nothing's happening, I think that may hurt him in the end. And they need to do something. He has, to be fair, done not everything he should, but has done some stuff on student loan forgiveness. And we are at the other side now of three huge strikes. The Writers Guild, the Actors Guild, and then the UAW, the auto workers. And seemingly in all three of those strikes, the workers won. And that gives me tons of hope. So we'll see. We'll see where we can go from there. But what? Uh, here's my call to action. What can you do? Go vote. A lot of states, your primaries are coming up. They're early this year because it's a presidential year. And especially in the early ones, a lot of these Republicans, they're going to have competitive races all across the board. Here in Ohio, we are completely controlled by a Republican legislature who the past, the past Speaker of the House just went to prison for 20. He's in prison now for 20 years on bribery. That's what happens when you're as gerrymandered as we are. And it's going to continue to happen. But that tide will turn. I go back to you build the walls, you put up the guns until that next generation can come in with compassion and a sense of community. We're all going to get there. There's going to be some interesting as hell races I'm going to talk about here in Ohio in the next year. And we're all going to get there. But I sound like a broken record. I sound like I said, but that's what it is. You have to vote. In Ohio, our election's in four months. The primary election, obviously. But it's a big deal because you're going to be choosing these candidates who are going to represent. And in a lot of cases where the Republicans may have a 10-point lead or even a 20-point lead, like in Kentucky, if the Republicans are going to run a Marjorie, Marjorie Taylor Greene or a Matt Gates or a Lauren Bobard or something like that, and the Democrats run an Andy Bashir, a sensible politician who is listening to your needs, Democrats might shock the world and take some of these races. And I think you're going to see a few of those. I really, really do. So if you are that candidate, if you are that Andy Bashir type, then throw your ass into the ring. Get out there. This is your chance. Politics is about opportunity. This is your opportunity. The Republican Party has a lot of problems. The Republican Party is loaded up with leaders who don't know how to win elections. So when I look at 2024, I think we are going to see a generation of Democratic candidates that are going to start to turn that tide. And gods know that we need it. So <laughs> that's, that's a seed saying that's the ex-millennial man, political year in review. I, I don't know exactly the schedule I'm going to go yet. There's still a couple of movies I want to watch. TV shows, I'm pretty much where I'm at. Music, I'm pretty much at where I'm at. But there's a couple of things I do want to check out. Also, make sure you guys check out Ty. He writes here Monday through Friday all the time. Like I said, he wrote about the he wrote about the trailer for Furioso. And it is. It's a it's, gosh, does that thing slap like hell? I mean, it is. I just I'm gonna throw all my money at it and never ever regret it. It's already my best movie of next year. That's how certain I am about it. Remember, I predicted Biden because I'm a super genius. So with all that being said, thank you for your ears. Anything else that you may use to listen to the Ex-Millennial Man podcast, remember we are here every Saturday for free wherever you find your fine podcasting shows. And tis the season. It is upon us. Go out, 
drink, be merry, and see you next week. The X Millennial Man Podcast is a production of SeedSing.com, fully owned by R.D. Kulik & Associates, LLC. Producers Ty Kulik and Ryan Kulik, adequately engineered by Ryan Kulik.